so we're sat in the Goddard Arms. It's, um, it's a beautiful day outside. I don't, know, don't really know why we're sat inside. <laughs> but I'm sat here with Sammy Parkin. How are you, mate? Very well. Thank you very much. I've had a, the only time I've been in here was for a Christmas party, so I'm in a much better state this afternoon than I was that night. Was that for Swindon or was that for your media work? It was my new career, yeah. Right, yeah BBC yeah. Watch, uh, 2015 Christmas, it would have been. You remember the date as well? I don't remember the date, but I remember <laughs> I stayed upstairs in a, in a room there and I was a bit worse for wear and I had a show the next day, so taking my professionalism as ever into my new career I as like well. It, I like <laughs> it. Um, this is a bit of a watershed moment for me, to be honest. Um, you know, you were pretty much the first player that I ever, I ever watched live and thought, this guy's a pretty good footballer, this guy's got it, this guy's got it going on. Um, who for you, you know, growing up, you were a London man, you were a QPR fan, or yeah. you were a QPR fan. Yeah. Um, who were those, those kind of players that you sort of watched and you thought, these guys, are, they are, these guys have something? Well, I'm very, very fortunate because it was a really... Um, a really good moment in QPR's history. When I was following QPR, my dad took me late 80s, probably, but didn't get really into it until the mid-90s. So we had an amazing team. Alan McDonald, of course, of course he's yeah, yeah. at Swindon, no. Uh, he was the skipper for years. Uh, Ray Wilkins, who was a big hero of mine, who I went on to work with at Chelsea. So for me, that was amazing. You know, amazing. Uh, but my biggest hero, there was one guy, Roy Wegley, of course as yeah, well yeah, yeah. Uh, very skillful bit of a maverick which I suppose you associate with QPR yeah, yeah. a little bit um, could look lazy but he dribble around three or four stick it in the net and I always liked he'd done aura about him yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know my hero is Sir Les Sir Les Ferdinand yeah, yeah. Um, you know he was absolutely phenomenal and he's I don't, wouldn't say I blame him but he's a large reason as to why QPR you know fell down the levels because yeah. when he left the football club QPR just disintegrated really uh, and obviously lost their, their Premier League status but yeah I've never seen a better header of a ball I mean he scored 25 goals a season maybe 3 or 4 years running for QPR and they finished top London club as well when I was supporting them so I mean I was QPR mad yeah yeah I would you know I'd go to a midweek game and I'd, I'd be in tears if QPR beat and still the next day at school the Chelsea fans would rip me but yeah I mean I ate drank, slept football yeah, yeah. Like, at a young age. So um, it's sad, really, because I'm still, obviously, QPR is my team, but, you know, it's not as strong, my love, as it used to be, which is it's sad, really, but, of course, I'm a, I've got affiliation with Chelsea and, and of course, uh, Swindon's my team now as well. Obviously, obviously. I mean, do you, do, you, do you still get a chance to go and watch QPR at all, or do you...? Um, when I was playing, I'd still still go if I was back in London there was a midweek game I, I would yeah um, obviously my my life has been revolved around football really since I was 16 so Tuesdays Saturdays I'm normally tied up playing or or now I'm at games in my uh, capacity now uh, in the media so I, I do try and go but so often the, the games conflict so I've not been as much as I I would like, but I am actually covering them this weekend. So, oh great! Yeah, looking forward to seeing it. And and Mark Bertram's a friend of mine. Right. Um, Ian Holloway, someone that I watched and someone that tried to sign me. I'm sure we'll probably come on to that. But yeah, someone who I really admire, Ian Holloway. So um, no, I'm looking forward to seeing them. And and of course, I've still got a lot of uh, friends that are QPR fans, and my brothers are QPR mad. So I do try and go. I just mean, I think the recent period. It's different from when I went as a kid. Yeah, you yeah. know, I think it's it's changed a lot, especially the Premier League football. And I used to love going to QPR, standing behind the goal and listening to the people, listening to the characters and just 
wetting myself laughing. Oh, just wetting myself laughing. Yeah. Wetting myself. The humour. Yeah. You know, it was. It makes me quite emotional talking about it because my dad took me, and it's different now. Yeah. You know, it really is. I think it's become very much corporate, especially QPR. The way it's had, you know. Uh, very wealthy owners, and uh, I think some of that identity has been taken away. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving on to Swindon, um, you, you, Swindon were your first kind of major club that you, that you mm. played for, your first sort of professional club other than Chelsea mm. that, you were, that you were owned by. Um, and you came in and you scored a hat trick on your debut against Barnsley. How did that kind of feel for you, for you as a young uh, It was mad really because I'd obviously I'd done well in a few previous loan spells, but I had the real bit between my, my teeth when I came to Swindon. I'd had a disappointing year at Northampton and pressure was on really and honestly it was from the first pre-season training session which was up in Southport. We'd gone up there Andy King had taken us up there because of his Merseyside ties and Neil Ruddock was in the club yeah, as well yeah. so we went up to the northwest. and um, from the first training session I just had this determination and I remember the first training, it was on a, it was on a park, public park and I remember, like, I think Matty Haywood was probably marking me. I remember going around him a few times, knocking him about a little bit. And I just remember the lads from that moment. It's the way football is a little bit, but I could tell they all respected me. And I think we had a night out that night, and I had a few pints, and they and probably was a bit chirpy, that they probably liked me as a fella as well. So within 24 hours, I think all the lads had gone, oh, do you know what? He's going to improve, improve our team. Right. And he's going to improve our dressing room. Yeah. So it was just snowball from there, really. And then pre-season, I scored every game, every game, and I've never been really um, prolific, even as a young kid. You know, I was in school football, but in the reserves and stuff at Chelsea, I'd get 15 a season, but I'd never score like that. Um, so yeah, that, that debut, I, I think it was just a continuation of the previous probably month where I just got this confidence. Don't get me wrong, I was anxious before that first game. I stayed up here in the Marriott the night before the game. I remember being probably soaked wet through when I got down to the ground, anxiety, but um, went out there, didn't, we hardly had a touch before my first goal, and then as soon as that went in, it was up, up and running. Yeah, 1-0 one, one down in that game, mm. and you scored a, scored a fantastic hat-trick, finished with that penalty. Yeah, I mean, they were really fancy, Barnsley as well, yeah, yeah, just yeah. come down, yeah. and we had, like, Steph Miliranzi come in, Gareth Eds, I'm sure a few others, but it was all our debut. Yeah, and um, yeah, from that first one, I think we were really strong. I think I could have had five. I think I had a head of disallowed. I'm getting being greedy here, but I think I had a head of disallowed. Um, that was never a foul in a million years. Yeah. So I scored four really. Um, but yeah, one of the best, one of the best days. I remember because we had the Tuesday night game. I remember going back, and obviously I'm on, back to, to where I was living at the time, probably at my mum's still, and um, feeling on top of the world. And I remember going to my local pub. And you know, obviously, had the game Tuesday, so I just celebrated with a coke. I think we went to Pizza Express or something like that. And um, but yeah, the feeling that night. Yeah, yeah. I probably read every paper for the next three days. It was it's one of my you know best moments. And um, without that day, there's no way I'll be sitting here with you now. So yeah, best one of the best memories. Let me just read out your stats for that season: 26 goals in all competitions that season. Um, Town lost just one game. Um, that you scored in all season. It's a pretty good return. I didn't know that. In your first season. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed I can't think of the game. <laughs> it was oh, crew. Crew as a penalty. Yeah, yeah crew yeah. a penalty. Yeah. Um, that's an unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't know that stat. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it wasn't a great side my first year. No, no. We didn't have a great team. No. I don't think we really, really had a style, you know. It was in terms of the following year, we had a real structure to the yeah. way we played, and we had a real um, style about us, if you like. Kingy was so knowledgeable about football. Like, he used to baffle me with tactics. You know, I was my job was always self-explanatory in those days. Yeah. Before systems moved on, yeah. invariably four-four-two, hold the ball up, get in the box, get across people. You know, he simplified it, but yeah. for my role. But the way he talked about football, right. I don't think people realise he was a really good tactician. Um, but that season, yeah, it was up and down. You know, that first year, but the one constant was that I seemed to score goals, and I didn't really have a settled partner, which was. Was, was difficult in the first and the third seasons. Didn't really have a settled partner, but first year, uh, yeah, I just remember it being a lot of loanies, a lot of lads coming in, um, winning a few games. Could we threaten the top six? Are we going to get relegated? We had that horrific run the yeah. early part of the season, yeah. so everyone thought we were probably going to have a real difficult campaign. But uh, brilliant, brilliant set of players and still got some great mates from that period so um, and the year that probably meant that I was going to have quite a lot of longevity in my football career So you mentioned Andy King there um, he brought you to the club um, did you get much of a chance to come, come speak to him after you left him? I did from, from time to time um, I actually saw him in my final year when I was at uh, Exeter City and he was working for Eddie Boothroyd and uh, I've told the story I think to, to Sam Moorshead before but he, um, he came over to me during the warm-up. It was at um, the Sixfields. And um, I've been playing particularly well for Exeter, but he came over and started giving me some tips and, and some pointers and stuff like that in the tunnel before the game, which obviously I was playing against his, his current employer. So, yeah, I, I had an amazing relationship with, with Kingy. Um, from, from day one, really, um, he obviously spotted something in me when a lot of people were doubting me when I was at Northampton. I think he actually said to me, oh, he saw this tall bloke with a nice, <laughs> nice touch. Uh, I think that's what he said, and he, I, I think it was a poor game that I played in as well, but he could identify a player, he says, being uh, modest as ever. But, um, yeah, no, I had a great relationship with him, and we'd speak every now and again, obviously normally when I was playing against his teams. Uh, I actually saw him maybe two or three months before he died at a, um, at a game. He was with his wife, and uh, we had a laugh. He absolutely like slaughtered me, took the piss out of me. Um, but it was nice, and yeah, he was as close as I had to a to a father figure, probably. So I was really shocked when um, I got a phone call from a journalist down here. Actually, I can't remember; it might have been Sam or or Andrew Steel Davis, who's now the, the press officer, of course, at Swindon. One of those guys phoned me, and I didn't want to talk about it to be honest, because I was really shocked me, really shocked me, and um, yeah, I felt a bit quite emotional about it because it's uh, obviously the the period of my life that I look back with the greatest satisfaction probably and he's a massive massive part of that so real sad loss but um, you know he's a character kingy so that's what I'll say um, yeah maybe maybe there's a few similarities with him and my dad actually because my dad's quite charismatic as well so um, maybe that's why we got on um, someone who kept coming up in my research of your first season you kept um, talking about and, and, and thanking Jimmy Davis for all the assists that he Fed, fed for you that season. Um, if, for anyone that doesn't know who Jimmy is, he, he was a, a lonely from Man United and then he came in and, um, for, for half the season and then um, nine months later he tragically passed away in a, in a, in a car accident. Did that kind of have an impact on, on you guys that season? Yeah, it did. I think initially, well, obviously we went on a brilliant season, so um, 
you know, you can't point at that and say that it had a real negative effect. But in the short term, yeah, absolutely. We um, we love Jimmy from, from day one, really. And similarly to what I was saying at the top of this, um, he got our respect as a footballer immediately because he's one of the best young players I've ever seen. Um, I think he could have gone on to play for Manchester United. I'm not sure, you know, to what to what degree, if he would have gone on one Champions League, etc. But he was a talented boy and you know from a really young age I played against him in Manchester, in Manchester United's youth teams uh, when I was at Chelsea him and Danny Webber were kind of uh, like peas and carrots those two so I'd known them both really prior to him coming to Swindon amazing player but no ego which is always lovely when they're coming from a big club because you expect them to have a bit of baggage but he was brilliant loved the night out so the lads loved him straight away um, really cheeky uh, Kingy loved him as well, which I think they had a really nice relationship. And yeah, we were we played Sheffield Wednesday, obviously that first day of the season when um, he died that morning. And obviously, I've probably heard it on Five Live or Talksport, whatever I was listening to on the way down, that had been a, an accident and a Watford player had died. And of course, me being a, a master of uh, roads in the country, that's my thing. So I've been to so many uh, provincial outposts in the country that. You know, I kind of thought that's probably Danny Weber or Jimmy Davis driving down. So when I heard that it was someone on the M40, yeah, I, I probably preempted that it was going to be my mate. And um, yeah, really, really sad. And it definitely, I remember being in the dressing room and not wanting to play, to be honest. And people say, I'll oh, go and do it for them or that. I found it hard during my career if I had traumas in my life to put that to one side. So. Um, yeah, that was that was not a nice day, and I played badly, really badly. I think Tommy had a good debut, Tommy Mooney. I think we're 3-0 down. So it 100% had an effect on us that afternoon, but we went and had a, re a really good uh, season. So, um, yeah, someone who I always, you know, the, the anniversary of his death comes up on Twitter and stuff like that, and someone who I always think about, you know. You scored, you scored twice in his memorial game as well. Mm. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, his mum and... His, his mum it was and cousins and stuff like that had been down to the county ground and stuff like that I think the, the few weeks after he died and come down we put on a special kind of day for him etc and they were guests of the club and it made him such a massive impact, impact. and we played Redditch yeah I think his best mate organised it up there and uh, I scored a couple of goals so for me that was kind of kind of my tribute because we all went to the funeral and obviously there was all the Man United boys there of course you know it was his club but it was packed out and we felt we had a, you know, more so than Watford, because yeah. he'd only joined there. Yeah, yeah. We felt we had like this real bond with him, sure. uh, as the fans did, and the players. And, and like I said, we'd spent um, spent some good nights out and played some good football together yeah. and become good buddies. So it was nice for me personally, because I was, I suppose, Swindon's talisman at the time, um, to get a couple of goals and, and give him my own little sending off in an in a big-headed way, again. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but someone yeah, someone I speak about often. Yeah. Um, so you've moved now into the media side of the game. You're working for Talk Sport, you're working for Chelsea, Chelsea TV, you're doing your own podcast as well. What kind of fueled that move into the game rather than the coaching side? Um, I think it's something I've always had an eye on, to be honest. Something I've always enjoyed, giving interviews. I, remember, I always hear about Gary Lineker. He was really inquisitive about the media when he was still playing I wouldn't say I was 
you know, watching people really closely and seeing how it worked, the intricacies of the industry. But I always enjoyed giving good answers and giving someone something to write about and thinking about my answers. So it's always something that I've um, thought might be suitable for me. Um, so I did my coaching badges when I first packed in um, my, my B licence, more to appease my mum, who wanted me out of the house and out of the way. Um, when I was obviously going and moping around seeing her and, and uh, bemoaning the fact that I was no longer a footballer. But um, yeah, I, I phoned BBC Wiltshire, one of my first phone calls, Sean Hodgetts. Um, I phoned the people at Chelsea TV, obviously because I, I was a kid there. And both of them said, by all means, come in, do a co-commentary, see how you get on. And it just snowballed from there, really. Sean said, why don't you do a bit with the strikers? You know, one you interview... I can't remember it was it so Michael Smith I think it was right, okay. uh, John Swift was another one I interviewed very early on because of our Chelsea affiliation yeah. stuff like that and it just snowballed and being in I learned uh, the editing software and you know bits and bobs like that and, it, and it's just gone from there really but I think my kind of I wouldn't say it's a problem but my route is going to be a longer route than, than some, someone more high profile so it may take a bit of time to get to where I want to go but I'm um, still a young man and I think it's the right way for me to go you know because if someone throws you into let's say Champions League coverage and you're a bit wet behind the ears you're going to be useless so I've had three years now where I feel I know the industry through almost three years done a bit of TV bit of radio well a lot of radio a lot of TV over the last three years and I feel like there's an opportunity because you have the likes of who'd be a good example Scott Minto Jason Cunley David Pratton now uh, I say through gritted teeth, but um, <laughs> you know people like that who are, who have done well and shown that you don't have to have had a stellar career. I mean, these guys probably all played in the Premier League there, so I'm you know further down the pecking order from them. But I really think there's a market for someone who played across the levels, knows the intricacies of the lower leagues, but has also had a t- taste of the top league and been around top players. And I think I've got a nice you know balanced view on on football and and hopefully. You know, it's something that I can turn into a real career. Um, you, you obviously get to speak to a lot of, a lot of players nowadays. Mm. What would you say the difference is from the players when you were playing for Swindon sort of 12, 13 years ago to the players nowadays? I think there's, there's two things really that stick out for me. There's, there's one that makes me sound like an old man, like a fossil, because I do it on my podcast quite a lot, but I did... I do believe that the generation now that's coming to an end so you know, I put myself not alongside but the same era as John Terry Peter Crouch Stephen Gerrard Lampard Ashley Cole people like that who I generally believe were like me desperate to be on a football pitch in front of a crowd desperate irrelevant of what you were going to get paid I think that comes later and I think that maybe had an impact on my mentality a little bit later on if I'm being completely frank not massively but it did become it did become a little bit about the trappings alongside the football as well when I initially started when I was at Swindon all that prior time at Chelsea I was desperate to be on a pitch in front of a crowd having the crowd sing my name playing football you know and it was my dream and I remember going onto the QPR pitch at the end of the season when you'd um, you'd run on the pitch at the end of the season. I remember being on the pitch and it was really like rutted at the end of the game, but the floodlight shining down on you and it felt like a different world, like a different planet, like a dream. 
and for me to have lived that uh, is incredible and that's all I ever wanted to do so those three years at Swindon when I came down there and had fans singing my name irrelevant if I was at that point irrelevant if I was earning 50 quid a week or 500 quid a week it didn't matter to me you know it does change over time because you know back then I was living at home probably but you know I generally believe that the likes of Gerard and, and John Terry trained every minute of every day out on the street probably outside their parents houses on the parks um, morning noon and night because they wanted to be footballers and I think it, it does get blinded a little bit now by the trappings from a young age you mean rather than sort of they want to be footballers for the, the status for the celebrity kind of thing? yeah I, th- I, I think so a bit you know of course all children play sports yeah. so it's inevitable there's going to be good ones that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that are going to be good enough to make a career out of it and every boy that's nothing changed in that regard every boy wanted to be a footballer when I was growing up yeah. every boy now but not everyone had that absolute burning desire that I certainly had and I'm sure John Terry did as an example um because I trained with him from a young lad and yeah, his dedication was and that it's not about yeah, it weren't about being wealthy and having a fast car then you know, it, it, it was about can I get in that reserve team can I get in that first team and you know, I always talk about myself like, well I can only talk about myself but, but whether I'm an isolated um, example or not I was obsessed with the game obsessed with it obsessed with QPR obsessed with players um, you know, I didn't. I probably took my half the ball a little bit when I noticed girls, but you know, most people say it was going out and all that. You know, not for me. Like I just, yeah, I did. I definitely took my half the ball when I noticed girls. But I think until until 15, you know, I, I could tell you every. I could tell you probably every player in the the Premier League for Oldham Athletic, Norwich, Man right. City. You know, that was how obsessed I was yeah. with football. So um, that's something that it does rile me a little bit. It's probably me just being a fossil, but you know, my last few years, I'd get, I'd half be, it'd half be winding them up. But the young lads, at Exeter, for example, yeah, I wouldn't know some some of the players. You know, I'd say, you don't know who Ray Wilkins is, or you don't know who Les Ferdinand is, or you know, more obscure than that probably at times. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, some of them didn't have a clue. I think that's, that's 15 years ago. Like, I can't fathom, you know, what what, what it's about. But you know, and obviously. I think if you're looking at football as a sport, you know, as a look at League One now, look at Swindon, MK Don's a good example recently. I know, well, I know their manager; he's a friend of mine. So they play completely different sports to what I was playing 15 years ago. The tactics, the um, the little details that go into Luke's team now with Michael Cooper, fitness coach, uh, their distance they run, being covered in matches uh, the body fat what they eat the hydration the nutrition the way they looked after it's changed you know we had Andy King Malcolm Crosby Dick Mackey three staff members my first year no, no goalkeeper coach Dick would be on the exercise bike at Cannons or whatever the gym was called you know having a coffee uh, you go up there if you were injured and have a walk about with him and uh, yeah hope that there's a nice looking receptionist on that day or, or whatever and then uh, and then Kingy and Crosser would take the football right. you know that was it yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the staff yeah. so it's serious business yeah. now mega multi-million pound business yeah. I know it's always been important but um, everything's looked at you know if you can get that percentage from the lads having a better lunch put on or uh, 
uh, better drill put on on a Tuesday morning if you're going to get 1% more out of the players than they do it, even at League 1, League 2 level. So uh, I missed out on that a little bit because I was probably in better condition when I was <laughs> retiring than when I was banging in goals for Swindon. What was it like for you, for you retiring? Because obviously there was um, there's kind of this, this theme around um, retiring. Footballers often find it difficult to get people like, um, you know, obviously the tragedy of Gary Speed is one that a lot of people talk about in right public eye. But how was it for you sort of retiring? I think I was fed up at Exeter my last year. Yeah. Um, I, f- I feel I've got to be careful getting you know to drag down into the disappointment of, of various spells of my career because I had an amazing time yeah. don't get me wrong and I've had you know I've, I didn't know what a day's uh, hard work, a day's hard work was until three years ago so I've had an amazing time but you know that last year sitting on the bench and uh, questioning whether I was going to come on questioning whether I was going to get a minute questioning whether I was going to be in the starting line up the following week and it never materialising for me it was really hard mentally for me and I felt that I was drained I felt like I didn't have any energy left to be a bit part player at League 2 or the conference listen if I was playing in the championship now League 1 even on that carpet down at the county ground every day I'd still be playing now you know because my motivation's clear you've got a motivation but if you're a bit part player in League 2 the conference not featuring you know for come on, let's face it 2 or 300 quid a week I felt it was time for me to get a new career. I felt it was time for me to make the, the steps in a different direction. Incredibly difficult is the answer to the question because I moved back to London um, and I didn't have a, anywhere to go at the time. So I went back to my mum's initially. Uh, I got Obviously I've got a property, but uh, someone was in it at the time. So I went back with my tail between my legs. Pretty ashamed, really. And no direction, lost, completely lost, and um, I really, really struggled because I've been told what to wear and where to be every every day since I was 16 years old. And when someone takes that away from you, you, you miss that that structure and that guidance. And I found it really, really difficult. And it took, I suppose, I don't know why. You know, I, I needed help. Probably, I needed help at the time, and I, I didn't speak to anyone. I, I took it all on myself. And uh, thankfully, you know, those days are a few and far between now. But I still get the odd feeling because it's a completely new identity now. And I'd be lying if I said that. Of course, I've got a brilliant network of friends at home, people I went to school with, people I grew up with, a very close family. But you know, you still got people coming up to you asking you if you're playing tomorrow or I saw your goal at the weekend or whatever and it's, it's who you are so when that gets taken away and you're just a bloke in the pub um, it takes some adjusting to so yeah I find it incredibly difficult and I know for a, a fact we, we all go through it and I know that we've been spoken about a lot recently and I think that's a positive thing but I still think there's more that can be done I, I certainly needed someone to speak to when I finished and I know I can say that for I wouldn't want to give you a percentage what a percentage but it's probably probably 90% of us and you know unless you're unless you're clever unless you're you're wired into what your future career is going to be or you're stepping into something that drives you something that you're excited about that you can walk into you know I, I put the lads who are on millions of pounds a year into the same bracket it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like I say, I mean, I'm not on the breadline. I'm. I've got a lot going for me, but 
you don't fit, you don't you don't feel like that. You don't feel like that at the time. So um, yeah, it's, it's very very challenging period. I think for all, not just footballers. I think for all people that come out of elite sport. Do you think it's one of the last kind of taboos of football? Um, people coming out and, um, and this, this, this depression and, and stuff like that. Is it, um, do, do you not think? Do you think that enough people are kind of talking about it? I think they are because I think people have realised that there's work that needs to be done in that area but that also people are interested in hearing about it it's certainly interesting for me to speak to my fellow players that are coming out of the game a lot of it off the record of course Uh, but you know I've sat down with some of my closest mates in the last few months and to differing degrees we all find it a challenge I think real you know I wouldn't want to say it's more the the low league players but I think it's very tough you know, uh, I think in some examples the the money and the opportunities afforded to the people at a higher level probably keeps them busier. You know, the, the people that we see week in week out on um, broadcasters who have got good gigs. You know, that's going to be you're going to be busy. So filling my time was the hardest thing initially. Um, giving myself some structure, even if it was going to the gym. I ran the marathon last year, and a lot of that was down to giving myself something to occupy my mind right. yeah, yeah something to occupy my mind so um, really really tricky period um, I'd like to think that it's going to improve in time but I think it's tougher for the young kids now I think it's tougher because um, they earn vast sums of money now um, they're not educated as much as they should be do you think the PFA should possibly do more about that too? I think I've, I've realised that there's more there um it's making the, probably the first steps that is the toughest for a lot of us and I now know that there are, is support available to us but yeah I mean should it be up to someone it's hard I think to pick up a phone when you're a young man um, it'd be better probably if there was something in, in place where there's someone coming to talk to you when your contract's running down you're 33, 34, 35 whatever it is and they can give you some guidance um, and give you some support and yeah, we get a bit of financial support, which is which is brilliant, and you know it's a very it's a very wealthy um, business, the, the PFA. It's a very wealthy organisation, so we do get looked after in that regard. And hopefully, when I need a new hip uh, in a year's time, I'll get a bit of help with that. But um, yes, it's certainly something that's not going to get better overnight. I need to clear up, clear up a rumor. I heard that um, when you moved to Ipswich from Swindon, that um, Roman Abramovich personally waived the, the sell-on fee um, that, was, that was supposed to be paid to Chelsea. Yeah, I understand that's that's the case. Um, obviously, they invested a lot of time in me as a young kid, Chelsea. So, you know, it was a very honourable thing for them for them to do, really, because a lot of money, to Chelsea. I think it was five percent or right. maybe ten percent. Right. So. I think it was 10%, yeah, yeah. so you're probably looking at 50 grand yeah, yeah. if I went for um, 500 grand. So that yeah. probably, during that period, what we're talking, you know, that was maybe a couple of players' salaries for a season. So, um, yeah. yeah, it was um, a nice touch, I think. Um, and, of course, Roman's millions had come into yeah. Chelsea at that point. So, um, no, it was really nice when I heard that. And Swindon obviously had a real traumatic period, certainly during my first year with Sir Seaton Wills when he was involved uh, and there was a real traumatic time then yeah. um, and for- fortunately 
you know, it's not got, never got as bad. Again, there's been, I know, there's been flirtations with administration and, and various bits and bobs, but um, that was pretty traumatic at that time. So, yeah, a lot of money to the football club, and, and that was nice because, yeah, it, it was nice, a nice feeling because I'm not sure that Chelsea entirely needed that money, and um, it, no, I, I think they'd let me go, knowing that I could maybe come back one day and get back to a higher level. But um, it was nice. It was lovely for me for Swindon to get that full sum of money. So we've got a couple of um, fans' questions for you. This is this is a question from Daz Smith. He says, uh, what was your favourite chant coming from the town end? Do you hear the chants? Or are you too focused on the game to hear the humorous ones? I think I've probably touched on that already. Uh, yeah, obviously my song. <laughs> Super sound. Yeah, I can't think of too many others during, during my period. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like... But Every, do, do, do you kind of hear the Yeah, I'd hear that. Yeah. Maybe that's my vanity. Yeah. Maybe that was my. Do they sort of affect you when you're, when you're playing? Or yeah. Inspire you? Yeah, I mean, in the the, way or? you know, I speak about the, the goal scoring. Because um, obviously, the, the, I think the fans always used to tend to give me a little rendition of my song when I came out. And that would give me a little boost. And, you know, I'd always enjoy that. And then if you scored, I always, I always say, compare it to like an out of body experience, right. it's. You completely lose yourself when you score a goal because I've always compared it to well you have let's say 5,000 people in the county ground all looking at you all singing your name at that moment I mean it doesn't feel real so for that two minutes after that you feel like you can do anything and if you ever watch if you watch you know whatever level of football and watch someone stick a ball in the back of the net if you focus on that striker midfielder for the next five minutes he'll run around like a blue ass fly and that's adrenaline right. confidence right ego right. combined combination right. of all that and yeah I mean I can remember exactly what it felt like I can remember yeah because obviously yeah, if you if you look back over some of my goals as well some of the celebrations are ridiculously <laughs> stupid because I just lost myself right in those moments I didn't care what I looked yeah, like yeah. and I wanted to celebrate it with the fans like I did when I was a, a kid on the terrace as a QPR so um, no I absolutely heard every song that was sung about me good or bad coming from the you know away team supporters or um, would it affect you if it was a bad one no I don't think so no, I don't no. think so not during that period because no. I know it was because Would they were threatened yeah, laugh by me laugh yeah, by yeah, it and, yeah. and uh, another nice thing to do was just um, focus on the bloke who was being the most animated know where he is right. and if you score right, you can run straight back to him and look, is and that something you did celebrate yeah yeah, yeah, yeah look yeah, back yeah. And look, right. not you know I wouldn't do it to uh, really antagonise a crowd no, no, no. a baying mob but I'd certainly go back and make eye contact yeah. with people yeah of course yeah I mean Dennis Wise did it once I think it was a Villa Park he scored a goal and the bloke must have been bald because Wise ran led for the pitch and slapped, slapped his yeah. head yeah. so it's, yeah whatever you use as a motivation if you're getting grief yeah. but um, yeah I can't really think of any other songs which disappointed me from my period. Oh, they the they Stephanie Lianzi song, didn't they? Which one was that? Was it Better Than Zidane? Zidane, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I can't remember uh, exactly how it went, which is poor yeah. for me because I know every I song. Too, I was a bit too young at that yeah. stage. I think any, any ones that had any swear words in, I think my dad would have put his hands over my ears. Yeah, I think the Millie Ranzi uh, one was completely better than Zidane, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it might Stephane. have been. Stefani. Stefani, oh, Stefani, oh. Yeah, 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 everyone's looking at us in the Goddards now. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, yeah. So you, from that point of view, people, people shouting at you, and you sort of look at them. Mm-hmm. You can understand the whole um, Cantona thing when karate kick the, the guy in the crowd. 
well, yeah. there was something along those lines. You think he? Well, yeah, I think it was. I think he. Yeah, yeah. I think it was probably yeah. softened. Not, yeah. not, not like one game, but I think he probably came down and gave him a mouthful right, of, right. of abuse. Right. But um, he was obviously a very uh, tempestuous character, wasn't he, yeah. Cantona? Yeah, he was sent off at the Celtic as well. Yeah, stamping on John Moncur, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm well aware. I'm well aware of the history of that <laughs> that fixture and, and what happened on that day. Yeah. And um, but it looked like the Swindon fans were giving him a bit down yeah, that far side as well was, that day. I think he was. But um, no, he was. Yeah, I love Cantona. Absolutely love Cantona. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I had some. I'd normally try and go back with humour. You know what I mean? If yeah. someone was giving me a bit of stick and try and come across as a bit clever and cheeky, yeah. which to, still to this day, because if I'm walking down the touchline with my headphones on doing something, yeah. you know, some people don't really get that, and some people try and shout abuse at you. And someone yeah. was giving me abuse at Southend earlier right. in this season. I think he was having a go at my fashion sense, which didn't go down too well because. That's uh, I take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, yeah, very sensitive about that. So um, someone tried to give me grief about that this year, so I gave him a little bit back, um, and I had a bit of a problem at Exeter towards the end. Right. Um, I think we always struggle yeah. when it's our home support. Do you right. know what I mean? Right. I think you know. We, you know, I won't have to pull up the um, examples of the, the current squad yeah. and stuff like that. But you know, it's hard taking abuse yeah. from from your own fans and. Fortunately for me, I had three years where I was given a pass here, but you know I suffered really badly at Ipswich. Really suffered. Um, you know, I really found it hard to deal with. And of course, supporters pay their money. I used to do it at QPR. You know, I used to give the players dogs abuse. Of course you do. You pay your money. You go there. You do what you like. You know what I mean? But when it's you, it's hard. You know, it is really hard when you're having a difficult spell, and it can really affect your confidence. So, um, I had a, a few set twos throughout my career. I, I, I probably, I probably stuck my fingers up at a few of the Swindon fans every now and again, but it gets masked because um, because of all the goals. But I remember people in the, um, I remember people in Don Rogers, right. me giving the ball away. I oh, get pull your finger out, park. Oh, probably got 17 goals. <laughs> yeah, it's not even Christmas yet. Bugger off or whatever. You know what I mean? So I'm probably a bit gobby even yeah. then, but. Yeah. Players react, you know what I mean, and I think there's been a few examples this year where you know players have had a chat back. And yeah. The biggest one is remember Matty Hayward, my pal Matty and Gurney at um, yeah. Cheltenham yeah. when That's they had a set two, which was over. You know, it was yeah. it was bad. It was but, a bad spell yeah, and in the heat of the moment, it can happen. I'm sure yeah. the supporters know yeah. that. I'm sure the supporters know that. And yeah. I was a supporter once, yeah. still am. Yeah. So you've got to take the right I think what I'm saying is this: I'm not condoning people getting kicked over yeah. the hoardings, no. but no. come on, if you're going to yeah. give it. You know, I think there's sometimes, as long as the line's not crossed, yeah. come on. Yeah. You know, I think you can give it as good as you get at times. Yeah. I have another question for you. Um, this is actually a question from my dad. He, he wants to know who was your favourite strike partner throughout your whole career? It's really difficult, but I actually thought about this the other day. Right. And everyone would probably expect me to say Tommy, wouldn't they? The most productive yeah. would be Tommy. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Love Tommy as a fella. Yeah. Do you still talk to him? Every now and again, yeah. just through work, bits yeah. and bobs. Yeah. And he's, he's at the county ground as a scout sometimes, right, works for okay. Aston Villa. Right. Looks after their loan players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tommy as a teammate, we had our ups and downs. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't all, all rosy, yeah. I think he'd say that. Yeah. But what a combination, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And what I would say about Tommy is when the ball went in the box, Invariably, if I wasn't there, Tommy would be there, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. And we had a real hunger yeah. that year uh, to score goals. So certainly, the most productive, the, 
best striker I played with. He wants a partnership with Dad, right? Does he want the best partnership? What's that? Does he want the best yeah, partnership? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well, it'd, well, it'd have to be Tommy, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. But um, it'd have to be Tommy. But all best, your favourite, all your favourite. Best striker, I'd say Neil Harris. Right. right. And this is my debut. Right. right. At that age, 19-year-old kid, I yeah. think Neil Harris was only 22, 23 right, maybe. Right. He got a hat-trick on my debut. Yeah, yeah. He played Oxford. Of course, yeah. So I think yeah, we had a sign yeah. of things yeah. to come, yeah, maybe. I got two. Yeah. Neil was the best finisher I'd seen. And I think, I don't know, and I don't want to talk for him, yeah. but obviously he had a very serious um, illness. Yeah, of course. And um, I think that maybe took the wind out of him a tad. And, um, the end of his, his no, it was, it was quite, you know, in, in, in his prime, really, right, maybe right. even before his prime. I just think, you know, that when he saw the horse, I think yeah. he was, um, you know, it was a, a real challenge getting yeah. over it. So he went off to Forest yeah. and obviously came back to Millwall and was yeah. really successful yeah. uh, League One Championship. But, you know, from what I saw when I first went there, and he came out of Northern League as well, Neil, yeah. every type of goal, volleys, headers, going round people, 30 yards, volleys, everything. Yeah. I mean, the instinctive goal scorer. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I'm just trying to think if anyone else. Uh, so Neil would be the best goal scorer, the best finisher yeah. I ever played with. Um, I had a spell at Chelsea with Leon Knights going back a long right, time. Right. That was a good partnership, yeah, yeah. me and Leon, yeah. very good partnership. Um, and uh, well, I'd mentioned probably Troy Deeney as a player that's gone on. It wasn't a partnership, me and him. We played a few games together. Two very different players there. Yeah, yeah. we, we yeah. played, um, we didn't play many games together because yeah. he actually had a much better rapport with. Um, with a lad um, called Darren Byfield I'm right. sure you'll remember right. Darren Byfield yeah, yeah. they had a great partnership yeah. that year at Walsall but Troy had a bit of everything yeah. he could hold the ball up do the ugly side of the game but then he quite cultured right. in his finishing volleys strike balls in from distance so um, yeah that, I think that's a selection but yeah I mean the best we didn't make a lot of goals for each other me and Tommy it's weird we didn't actually make a lot of goals probably you know, obviously, you know, I love watching back all the old footage. Yeah, and, um, you know, I remember one ball he put me in for away at Brentford. I think it was over Christmas time. Very few times that I put him <laughs> in on goal. That maybe it was more, maybe this, maybe the, yeah. it was more about me yeah. than him. Maybe I was the greedy one. Yeah. So, you, you obviously, in your, your role now, you, you get to speak to a lot of the, lot of the younger players that play mm. for Swindon nowadays. Mm. Um, yeah, what, what, what do you think of this season? in general you've been to see a couple of games more than a couple <laughs> <from my sins. laughs> don't let me off lightly <laughs> Jesus uh, it's been disappointing hasn't yeah. it can't, can't dress it up anything but a disappointment but they've given themselves a bit of an opportunity I'm not sure when this is going to go out but they've given themselves a bit of an opportunity which you know, three weeks ago I thought they were dead and buried yeah. so all's not lost and it's just a shame that um, this squad wasn't available early on the season because I'm 100% sure I'm 100% sure if we'd have had Rowan Ince since the start of the season this would not be the predicament the team's in add to that Nicky coming back uh, Ben Gladwin coming back the two lads from Chelsea um, Fankerty and Charlie who obviously I've watched a lot over the last three years both lovely boys good attitudes great opportunity both for not sure to what level yet I I did worry maybe about Charlie's physicality in this division but He's doing really well at the moment. Um, and obviously, there's been various interruptions this year. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, not, even I don't know the intricacies of, of what I, what's been going on the last few months. Yeah. What I will say um, is that it was a very difficult period, the middle of the year. And they, they 
the personnel wasn't strong enough for the competition in League One and the chairman has taken responsibility for the recruitment two years ago he done an amazing job getting Jack Stevens. Um, you have to remind me Mass obviously was here uh, Ben breakthrough season Michael Smith Andy Williams uh, John Turnbull on loan Swifty Toffolo the recruitment was pretty much spot on this year you know, do, you, not, do you think that's got something to do with the, the actual recruitment or do you think that has something to do with the players available? Do you think there's, there's less players available? Do you think it's got something to do with the fact that Sherwood isn't as close with Spurs anymore? Uh, not so much. I wouldn't look at that. I wouldn't look about that because I think it would be quite easy for the manager, sorry, for uh, the chairman and, and Tim Sherwood to get a relationship with any club they want, really, within reason. They've yeah. clearly gone and done that with Chelsea. Yeah. You know, listen, like next year that's not going to be feasible if it's League Two. You, you might be, but the quality is going to diminish. Um, from what you're bringing in. Uh, I think it's difficult. I have sympathy going to get experience in January. I mean, the last few years, they got Adam Elad and Sam Ricketts, didn't they? Which is what we're talking about, but they're t- you know, that's two transfers. Yeah. You know, I think they needed three or four yeah. experienced players yeah. to go into that squad uh, this year. Um, so, from that regard, it's been very disappointing and it's going to be... Listen, I have... I don't know what's, what's going to happen, but I, I hope that whether it's Luke, um, you know, in the helm, at the helm for the next few years or someone else coming into the football club, that they are given the opportunity to get the club uh, out, of the, out of the division and they're given the, the tools to try and go and do it. They're given the ammunition to go and have a really good go at it because this year Luke's clearly had a bit of a raw deal. Um, and in the last few weeks we've probably seen what a talented coach he is. So, listen, there's no doubt that Luke's going to go on and have a brilliant career. Um, you hope that he's able to achieve some stuff at Swindon Town, but time will tell, won't it? And um, irrelevant if he's here or not. You know, I don't think we can. I don't think we can be too critical because, for me, Martin Ling was a great fit. Obviously, Martin's, um, you know, had real, real problems and, you know, could not continue to, to coach at that level. You know, clearly Martin's got bigger, bigger, bigger fish to fry, and. Um, you know, it's a perfect fit. Yeah. Luke stays in his role, yeah. and Martin Link comes into the football yeah. club. Yeah. You know what the alternative is now. I'm not so sure. So let's just hope that they can avoid um, re- relegation. And um, it's going to be a massive overhaul. Yeah. Massive overhaul. But yeah, for large parts of this season, we've got huge sympathy with the supporters because it's been it's been pretty desperate at times. I mean, you you get to speak to to the chair, to the coaches and the, the players quite a lot. Do you, do you feel like they're, they're up for the fight? They're, they're really determined to, to keep swimming up this season? I spoke to Nicky Jose at a dinner a month ago, six right. weeks ago. Yeah, six weeks ago probably. Yeah. I thought they were down. Right. Well, my, you know, having been in relegation battles, yeah. seeing, you know, probably after the, was it the Chesterfield game maybe? Yeah. yeah. After that? Yeah. But was that a month ago now? Yeah. You know, for me, that was, it was done. Yeah. And I've been... Really optimistic all season, yeah. all season. Yeah. Christmas time, bloody Andrew Hawes, bless him, was telling me it'd be a dogfight this year. Yeah. I yeah. said no chance, yeah. no chance. No, we'll be all right, we'll be all right. Yeah. Um, and Nicky said to me that night, "What's that?" I hope I'm not putting him in the shit here. But <laughs> Nicky said to me that evening, and I looked at him like he was mad. Yeah. And it didn't happen overnight, but of course they have rallied. Yeah. It, it seems to be be turning, but four games to go. Very, uh, you know, I'm. I still think it's going to be very, very difficult. I'd love them to do it. Love them to do it because yeah. it, you know, that has repercussions on people 
all around the football club. It'll have repercussions on my employer now, probably, in terms of, you know, it's not as glamorous as it going to Accrington Stanley. So um, it's a massive, massive few weeks for the football club. And I think, realistically, you're talking seven points might do it. Eight points, nine points, I think you're safe. Sam, I think that's I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you very much for speaking to me. You've been been easily the best guest I've had on so far. First one, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> we've spoken to Sam and we've spoken to, to um, Steve Mighton as well. Yeah, Steve, don't count. Does it? <laughs> mate, thank you so much for Pleasure, speaking. Pleasure, Will. To me. No problem, mate. Thank you. Thank you.